Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. Recently, Schitt's Creek star Annie Murphy shared how she experienced depression at the start of COVID-19 lockdown. Taking antidepressants and participating in regular therapy sessions, she claims saved her life. Today, I'm here with Dr. Gary Small, a behavioral health physician and chief and psychiatrist with Hackensack Meridian Health. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Small. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. You think about a celebrity talking about depression and with all the money and the fame and everything that comes with it it's hard to even imagine that someone like that could have depression when a celebrity speaks out about it they're doing a public service because many people feel that depression is a sign of mental weakness you should be able to pull yourself up on your own but the reality is that there are people who don't have any outside stressors, yet they get depressed. It's an illness that can be very much like a physical illness. And in fact, often the symptoms and signs are not just mental, they can be physical. So talk a bit about that. What, what are some of the signs physically that, that can show depression? You can lose weight, you lose your appetite, have trouble sleeping at night, feel fatigue. And on the mental side, People have trouble concentrating sometimes. They're discouraged. They feel suicidal or that they'd rather be dead and they wouldn't take their own life. There are a number of different elements, both on the physical and the mental side. And I think it's, it's important for people to understand that, yes, it's, it's normal to get sad from time to time. Who doesn't get sad yeah. during the course of a day? Life is stressful. It's how we respond to that stress. And we have these ups and downs. But a a depression that needs help from the medical community often interferes with that person's ability to take care of their own lives. You brought up a really interesting point in terms of stressors and and pressure and things like that. And Recently, the Olympics just ended, and you heard a lot, a lot about all the different Olympic athletes and all the athletes in general that felt the pressure that the games put on one's mental health, and especially Simone Biles, you know, pulling out of different events because, you know, the she just needed to take care of her mental health. And then also for the French Open earlier this summer, Naomi Akaska she pulled out of the French Open because of depression and needing to focus on her mental health. Do you think there's anything that ties in with pressure, especially on these different athletes, thinking about high school athletes and grades and all this pressure that people put on these different individuals? Is there anything that could maybe, you know, help pull them out of that or help them through that? There's no question that being an athlete can create a lot of stress and pressure. And I think that people tend to see all the glamour and all the recognition, and they don't realize how the athlete actually feels. And if you have a predisposition to mood swings, uh, you're going to be at risk. Now, the good news is that there are things people can do. I mean, first of all, if you feel that your mood is affecting your ability to take care of your life, see your doctor. Find out about it. Because depression 
is treatable. Psychotherapy, medications, or both can deal with most depressions. So it doesn't last forever for the average person. There are innovative therapies too that make a difference. But there are also things that people can do to lift their mood, sort of self-help approaches, like physical exercise. It turns out you don't have to become a triathlete, but just <laughs> jogging 15 minutes a day will lower your risk of developing a depression. Staying socially connected is very important. I mean, human beings are social animals. We like people who are empathic, who can be in our social network. And when we're isolated, it can lead to a lower mood. Now, the challenge is that when you get depressed, you tend to turn inward and you tend to isolate. So many times with patients, I will encourage them to reach out to family and friends and spend time with them if they're feeling down in the dumps. And that was especially hard this past year with COVID and the lockdown and all this different social distancing. You must have been pretty busy. Well, it's no question that uh, mental illness was a pandemic within the pandemic. There was tremendous stress that people were experiencing as a result of social isolation, of concern about their physical health. And yes, I was busy, but there's pushback. When people are afraid to seek help, they are frightened that a psychiatrist or a mental health practitioner is somehow going to control them. And they can just talk to friends and do it themselves. Now, I'm advocating doing both if you need to, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not a good idea to take alternative treatments to just start exercising and avoid getting proper medical treatment for severe depression. And you mentioned before that there are medications, and actually one of my physicians mentioned to me, you know, she said, Kylie, if you had a vitamin D deficiency, you would think nothing of taking a vitamin D supplement. If you have a serotonin deficiency, so you're depressed and you need more serotonin, you know, why would you think anything differently of taking something to help that when you think nothing differently of taking vitamin D? So I'd like to talk a little bit about that because a lot of people really think that taking antidepressants is going to make them numb or change their personality, where in hindsight, it's it's really just to kind of help them and help their deficiency, for lack of better words. And you're right. You're looking at sort of a medical model for depression, and it's so true. We know from neuroscientists who've studied the brain that depressed people have a chemical imbalance in their brain. And so taking certain kinds of antidepressants that maybe boost brain messengers or neurotransmitters like serotonin will lift a person's mood. So it's critically important, especially for people who feel stigma about being depressed, to understand it as a medical condition. Now, over the years, I've seen many people who are depressed, and and a lot of them who have this pushback uh, are frightened to see me. And when I worked as a consultant years ago in geriatrics, a lot of older people feel that, well, psychiatrists are for crazy people. So often, you know, I'd be introduced as a medical specialist or medication specialists, to, and I'd wear my white coat, get to know them, and once they felt comfortable, they realized that maybe this is not such a frightening thing. And in fact, some people, they don't even feel sad or blue, but they have the physical constellation that you see with depression, weight loss, 
chronic pain, a lot of other things. And for these kinds of people, I might say, well, you know, I want to give you a medicine or prescribe a medicine that I think will help you with your low appetite, with your poor sleep, and even your pain, perhaps. Now, it's called an antidepressant. I know you don't feel depressed, yeah. but I want you to try it because I think it's going to help you. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't realize that antidepressants could help you with so many other things, such as the things that you mentioned, lack of sleep and depression and um, loss of appetite, um, and as well as, as your mood. And that's definitely something that people should consider. And it's not just mood, it's actually your thinking. I mean, when you feel sad or blue, you're distracted, you're ruminating, and you're not paying attention, and you're not remembering as well. So there have been many studies showing that for some people, taking an antidepressant will actually help their thinking and improve their memory. Wow, that's really, that's interesting. I never even thought that that, that could be one of the results of an antidepressant. Well, there's even a condition that you see as people get older, when they get depressed, they get confused. And they've called it pseudo-dementia, you know, sort of a fake dementia, mm -hmm. like they have Alzheimer's disease. And when you treat those people, oftentimes their mood and their memory lifts. Wow. Just by the antidepressant alone, or, or in addition to other? Well, usually people will get, for severe depression, either an antidepressant alone, but usually there's psychotherapy that goes along with it. And the studies indicate that for these kinds of people with the more severe depressions, a combination of the two is more effective than either alone. So psychotherapy, what does that consist of? Because that sounds like a little little scary. Well, you know, you're right. There's an old joke, you know how you can tell a psychiatrist at a party, that's the person who either stares right at you or looks right through you, depending on which makes you more uncomfortable. <laughs> and, you know, I think a lot of people have that perception. But psychotherapy doesn't have to be so scary. And there are newer therapies that are shorter term. You don't delve necessarily into your childhood traumas, but they're very practical. And there's one approach that's very popular, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you look at how you think about things, how you solve problems, and how you behave, and you understand those patterns better. So you can make change in your life today in the here and now. And of course, there are more traditional therapies. It's often called psychodynamic therapy or insight-oriented, where you do try to get to some of the roots of your problems from childhood earlier on. Many times in life, we tend to perceive people right now as if they're our parents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, your relationship with your parents may not be that healthy. And sometimes understanding the underpinnings of those relationships gives you insight so that you can function better today. Wow, so I feel like maybe as a psychiatrist, do you feel that you are a great problem solver or you know, if you are a great problem solver, maybe psychiatry is, is the path that you should take? Well, you know, I think psychiatry is not for everybody, uh, but I, for me, it's been a very rewarding career because I've always been curious about the human mind interested in people and relationships and wanting to try to understand that and wanting to help people to change. But I've also found over the years, it's hard to make, you can't make people change. They have to want to change. And so it's a whole process uh, involved. They have to be ready to do that. Now, in some situations, 
you, you really have to intervene to save people's lives. Untreated severe depression increases the risk of physical illnesses and mortality. And so this can be a serious illness that we have to look at and take care of. And the good news is that we can do something about it. So you mentioned, you know, outside people looking in, seeing someone that might be depressed, seeing someone that might be down in the dumps. What are some of the things that that you can do for a loved one if you think that your loved one is depressed or upset? I mean, I think one thing you can do is to notice them, to listen to them. Uh, you know, if you're an empathic person, if you understand another person's emotion and you can feed that understanding back to them, that's critically important. And unfortunately, in, in, in many ways, depression is a bit infectious. If you're spending a lot of time around a depressed person, it kind of brings you down and it's hard. So it's, it's very difficult for loved ones to figure out how to cope with this and how to help their loved ones deal with the depression. So part of what they can do is to learn about it and understand it and educate themselves and talk to them and listen. Don't tell them what to do. Listen to their concerns. And if you think it's gonna be worthwhile, recommend they see their doctor and find out more. Maybe there's more that they can do. And are there any sort of, you know, risk factors for those who are, are depressed that people should be aware of? Well, I think there, you know, there's certainly risk factors for developing depression. Okay. So if you have a family history of depression, you know, you may have a genetic predisposition. If you grew up in a depressed household, you know, you may be used to that kind of experience and, and learned about these responses that maybe don't serve your mental life so well. And physical illnesses, chronic illnesses, can increase your risk for depression. The big risk is if you don't get treatment for your depression, if you don't take care of it with a healthy lifestyle, you're at risk for getting sicker and more uncomfortable. It can threaten your personal life, your social life, your professional life, and it can really disrupt your ability to function and certainly bring down your sense of well-being. So you mentioned seeking professional help. When would be that moment where someone should say, you know what, I think I need to seek professional health? Like what would be that turning point? I think if you find that this change in your mood or change in your appetite, whatever it may be, is, is really affecting your ability to function normally, that's the time. And often, I suggest people start with their personal doctor because many depressions are actually caused by a physical illness, an untreated physical illness, or a medication side effect. And so getting a screening laboratory tests to make sure you don't have a thyroid imbalance, uh, having the doctor take a look at the medicines you're taking, making sure there's not a side effect, this is critically important. Then the question is, is it something beyond just the medical cause of the depression? And time to seek out a mental health professional. Now, if your doctor feels it's something serious, that doctor may want to recommend a psychiatrist who could prescribe medication. It turns out that there are not enough psychiatrists to go around. And a lot of depressions, these kind of clinical depressions that need medication treatment, are actually treated by family doctors or internists. 
And many of them are quite good at treating the straightforward depressions. But if it's unusual, if it's resistant to the initial intervention, that may be the time to be referred to a psychiatrist. Now, maybe it's not so serious. Maybe it's a milder depression. Then a psychotherapist might make sense. And there are a lot of practitioners, uh, family therapists, uh, advanced nurse practitioners, and others who do psychotherapy, psychologists, very talented at it. So there's a lot of different ways to go. And how would you find all these different specialists? Would you just go online and search psychotherapists? Well, I, I wouldn't recommend that because we know <laughs> there's a lot of information online. It's not always reliable. But I think the, the best referrals are from people who you trust. And, and that's really how we make decisions in life in general. You know, if you want to go see a movie, you ask yeah. your friend, what's a movie to see? If you want to buy a car, what's a good car to get? And I think the same is true about psychotherapists or psychiatrists. You're going to ask a friend, a family member, a doctor, uh, it could be a clergy person, uh, who you trust for that referral. And then once you go to that person, you have to trust your own instincts. I mean, there may not be a good fit. And you have to ask yourself, do I feel comfortable with this person? Are there red flags? Maybe this is not the best doctor or therapist for me. So, I mean, full disclosure, I have a therapist. She's wonderful. I've been speaking with her for years. It's an innocent bystander. As I like to describe it, it's someone who, who doesn't know your life, but knows your life. <laughs> well, and, and that's one of the issues with just talking to a friend. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, your friend, as empathic or loving that friend may be, they're going to have a little bit of their own agenda. And it may not be in your best interest. And so you have you know, a third party that is a bit more neutral mm -hmm. and can help you gain perspective on your life and find a pathway to health. So I'm going to segue a little bit. We're coming into the winter months, and with the winter months comes SAD, which is seasonal affective disorder. Affective disorder right. Yes. So how would you know the difference between SAD and just feeling gloomy because it's dark out earlier? Well, I think you're looking at the same kinds of signs that, you know, is this mood change really affecting you in a, in a very negative way? Is it really disrupting your everyday life? I remember a patient many years ago, and he was, he'd always get depressed uh, around September, October, and he thought this, this happened from when he was uh, in school. And he thought, it's just because summer's over, now I've got to deal with schoolwork, mm -hmm. I hate that. But it turned out that he had seasonal affective disorder. And so what's happening, the days are shortening and you you have less exposure to sunlight and that causes a chemical change in your brain. And interestingly, the, the treatment that helps it is sitting in front of a, a light that gives you that, art, it's artificial light mm -hmm. and that help. But he actually discovered himself at a certain point, he read about SAD and he thought, well, you know what I'm gonna do? Maybe I've got that. Maybe it's not this schoolwork thing or going, the summer ending. And he started opening his windows up early in the morning, you know, pulling the shades up yep. and exposing himself to light. And, and that's how he, he kind of self-diagnosed himself. That's pretty cool about the, the light therapy. Could, how, how, would that, how would you even find a light like that? Is it just any sort of lamp or is it a specific type of, of light? There are special lamps that you can purchase and you know, I would say, don't treat yourself. See an <laughs> expert, and there are actually 
psychiatrists and therapists who specialize in SAD, and they can make sure you get the right dose of the light and, and really bring you out of that sometimes disabling condition. Yeah, because I feel like standing too close to the light or, or being there too long, it probably all affects you differently. Well, and, and also you could have uh, different kinds of SAD. Now, there are people who have a certain kind of depression that I'm sure you've heard of, manic depressive mm-hmm. illness, or it's often called bipolar disorder. And what that means is there are episodes of depression interspersed with episodes of what's called mania, where you have an elevated mood. And so you feel you can get a lot done. Uh, you're talking all the time. You're not sleeping. You're very energetic. And it can get so bad that you actually lose touch with reality. And so if somebody has a predisposition to these manic episodes, if you overtreat your depression, it could lead you into a high that at first you may like, mm-hmm. but it can also be very disruptive to your life. Yeah, so I, it's, it's very important to talk to the right person and to get the right therapy for you. And also get the right diagnosis, because if we can pinpoint the diagnosis, we can really tailor the treatment to meet your needs. Now, one thing I do when I work with patients, not only do I take the standard medical approach to make sure there's not a medical condition or a medication that's causing the problem, but I look at their lifestyle. You know, are you exercising? What's your diet like? Uh, Are you able to relax? What are the stressors in your life? And sometimes the recommendation is not for medication. Maybe it's some psychotherapy, but also I want you to start exercising or I want you to spend more time with people you care about. Or here's a meditation app that may help you fall asleep and stay asleep. Yes, meditation is one of the hardest things that I've ever tried. Well, you know, it may be because you were misinformed about what it's about. I mean, I, I, look, I tried to meditate when I was in college, and I thought I was a terrible meditator because my mind kept wandering. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that's part of the process. You, you know, deep breathing or you focus on a mantra, whatever it may be, you're going to notice your mind wandering. The process is noticing it and bringing your mind back. And just that makes a difference. And in fact, some of the scientists I've worked with have done MRI scans, so you can see how the neural circuits function. 10 minutes of meditation a day can not only improve mood, it can improve your memory, and even, in a sense, rewires your brain. You can see the the nerve cells firing in different ways. So it's real, it's not just placebo or hocus pocus. Yeah, oh wow, that's super interesting. Are there any other contributing factors to SAD other than, than the weather changing? It turns out that people who live in northern latitudes Mm -hmm. are at higher risk. So if you live in Umia, Sweden, or Nome, Alaska, you're at greater risk than if you live in Panama. And that's probably because you have shorter days and less exposure to light. So I think it's, it's really this exposure to light that triggers the syndrome. And it has to do with something called melatonin, mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't have enough of that melatonin at certain times, it's going to affect your mood. But let me also say with SAD, any stressors, any other risk factors that can affect any kind of depression can also affect SAD. So what are some of the other risk factors then? Well, we talked about family history, mm-hmm. 
medical illness, having, you know, spending time around other depressed people can be a risk factor. The weather. Shorter days. Isolation. And this kind of gets us back to the pandemic because Mm -hmm. this has been very difficult for people. Now, fortunately, we do have technology that can help us connect to others. And I often recommend when people are socially isolating to reach out to family and friends. Plan video calls. And in fact, for some people, it's, it's been terrific. I, I knew a couple, they had a, a regular game of hearts with another couple. And they, you know, it was the beginning of the pandemic. They couldn't see them. They really missed it. And they figured out a way how to do a video call and use their cell phones to work as, you know, the hand for their game of hearts. And in fact, when the pandemic lifted, they preferred playing with their phones rather than shuffling the cards. So. Yeah. But technology is not always the answer. It can have a negative effect. And there have been a lot of studies showing that too much social media use can be a risk factor for depression. There's a tendency where you see all your friends out there who look great and they're having fun and they're presenting their best face out there and you compare yourself with them and you think, oh my goodness, my life is not like that. So it can actually paradoxically lead to a greater sense of isolation. So let's you know, bring this back to something a little bit positive. What are some of the things that we can do other than, you know, social media and and video chatting to help us cope with this sense of isolation during this weird time? Well, I think it's very important to have a regular schedule. Part of the problem with depression is your daily rhythms, what they call circadian, circadian rhythms, get out of whack. You're up in the middle of the night and you're ruminating. Uh, You're waking up in the morning and you start worrying about things. And with the pandemic, a lot of people didn't get out of their pajamas and they were dragging around and they were eating a lot of junk food. Oh, yeah, I was one of them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I appreciate your transparency. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But you're, or drinking too much or using drugs too much. A lot of people use recreational drugs to treat their depression. Not an effective way to treat depression, it leads to a lot of other problems. So I think living a healthier lifestyle, having an everyday rhythm to your life, I would recommend that people try to recreate the rhythm they had before the pandemic. So if they go out and exercise in the morning, let's say they can't go outside, they could maybe do some home exercises to give them a mental boost. And, and exercise is tremendous. What It actually changes your body and your brain. You feel more self-confident. And your body produces endorphins, which are natural antidepressants. They lift your mood and they actually lower pain. Another thing that's very important, uh, I talked about how depression can disrupt your sleep. Mm -hmm. And getting a good night's sleep is important, not just for depression, but any kind of mental problem. You know, we think of sleep as a time when the brain is completely at rest. It's not. It's doing stuff. Uh, One of the big problems we have with mood changes and memory problems is there's too much inflammation in the brain. And these inflammatory cells are not good for the healthy brain cells. When you get a good night's sleep, it reduces inflammation in the brain. It sort of resets your mental acuity. I mean, we all know how great we feel when Mm -hmm. we get up and we have a good night's sleep. And I like to try to help people 
to learn how to sleep through the night without sleeping pills because those have side effects and people start to feel dependent upon them. And there are ways of creating what's called better sleep hygiene where you go to sleep at the same time at night, you make sure you don't drink caffeinated beverages or a lot of beverages in the evening. And there are strategies that you can try to help you get a better night's sleep. Let's talk about that because that's very interesting. So what are some of the different strategies that we can use to, to get a better night's sleep? Well, one thing to keep in mind is that it's not the end of the world if you don't sleep through the night. And in fact, you can just rest and you feel you're not really sleeping, but that can help. Uh, one, I had a patient who said he'd like to read to go to sleep, and he would you know, read his book and get tired, and then he would turn the light off, put the book down, and then he moved around so much, mm-hmm. he was awake again. <laughs> so he got one of these backlit electronic books. So he didn't need to do the light, and he could just drift off to sleep. And that you know, brought to mind how there are these meditation apps that can help people go to sleep. You can get one of these apps, some of them are free, others you just pay a modest fee on the app store, and it will help you meditate, calm your body down, calm your mind down, and help you drift off to sleep. And you can do that if you wake up in the middle of the night. It can bring you back to sleep. Another approach is where you don't go to sleep or don't go to bed until you're tired. And you get into bed and turn the light out, make sure it's comfortable, cool in the bedroom, warm under the covers. And if you're not asleep after about 20 minutes, get up and do something else. Get out (laughs) of bed until you feel sleepy again and then go back and do that. Now that takes a lot of willpower and the next day you have to make sure you don't take naps Mm -hmm. But if you're disciplined and conscientious, for some people that can help them break this cycle of waking up the same time in the middle of the night. Another thing is that uh, if you're depressed and you need an antidepressant to help you, if you're having sleep problems, often the doctor will prescribe a medication that tends to help you sleep through the night. Now, for some people, when they get depressed, particularly people who have bipolar disorder, they actually sleep too much and they're fatigued during the day. So in that kind of situation, the medication would be one that energizes you a bit more. So there are way, there are strategies a doctor can use to reduce your symptoms and help you feel better. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Small. My pleasure. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.